This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. C7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. I think it's safer to keep him here and keep him in custody. Prosecutor in Arizona sends New York City a message, and she's using the case of the suspected Soho hotel killer to do it. You killed my husband, an innocent man, a good man, who did nothing to you. Emotions running high on sentencing day for the hit and run driver who admitted to being drunk and high when she killed an NYPD detective on the Long Island Expressway. And startling new data shows the extent of New York City's poverty problem and how greatly our children are impacted by it all. Good evening and welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm David Navarro and we're going to begin with the new developments in the Soho Hotel murder case. The Maricopa County attorney in Arizona says she will fight to keep accused killer Rad Alamansuri from being sent to New York City to face charges because she fears Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg will simply let the suspect out of bail. Eyewitness News reporter Kristen Thorne live in the newsroom with the details. Kristen. Dave, this comment by the county attorney out in Arizona kind of came out of nowhere during this press conference, and I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg wants Rad Almansori back here in New York so he can charge him with murder, but the county attorney in Arizona says that is not going to happen, at least not right now. Having observed uh, the treatment of violent criminals in the New York area by the Manhattan DA there, Alvin Bragg. I think it's safer to keep him here and keep him in custody. The Maricopa County attorney in Arizona says Rod Almansori will not be coming back to New York City to face murder charges because of the city's soft on crime policies. The 26-year-old is accused of killing Denise Oleas Arensabia, a mother of two, inside the Soho 54 Hotel earlier this month. A spokesperson for the Manhattan DA's office fired back at the Maricopa County attorney, saying crime has gone down in the city since Bragg took office, thanks in large part to the NYPD. It is a slap in the face to them and to the victim in our case to refuse to allow us to seek justice and full accountability for a New Yorker's death, the DA spokesperson said. Police in Surprise, Arizona, arrested Almansori Sunday after he allegedly stabbed a woman during a carjacking. Police say they tracked him down shortly thereafter in the stolen car. While speaking with Surprise detectives, Almansori indicated he was involved in a stabbing incident in Phoenix, Arizona, and in a murder in New York City, New York. Police say last Saturday, Almansori stabbed an 18-year-old woman in the neck inside a McDonald's bathroom in Phoenix. Both women in the Arizona attacks survived. Investigators believe Almansori fled to Arizona shortly after murdering Oleas Arinsabia. Her sister issued a statement today saying, My sister was a hardworking, smart, funny, positively bright woman. She was always making everyone laugh and had such a huge heart. She did not deserve to be murdered. The NYPD says Almansori may also be responsible for attacking a woman in Florida. Dave. 
Right, Kristen, thank you so much. Now to another emotional day in court. It was sentencing day for the hit-and-run driver who admitted to being drunk and high when she killed an NYPD detective on the Long Island Expressway. And Jessica Bovis will spend at least the next 22 years behind bars for the 2021 crash. NYPD officers packed the courtroom in a powerful show of solidarity for NYPD detective Anastasia Sakos as his wife gave an emotional impact statement. Here's Anthony Carlo with more. It was hard enough to tell his fellow highway officers, but what about his children? That their dad, their favorite person, was gone. That broke me. Words Irene Sakos has wanted to say to Jessica Bove ever since she killed her husband, Detective Anastasio Sakos. On sentencing day in a packed courtroom, she got her chance. You killed my husband, an innocent man, a good man, who did nothing to you. Bove was found guilty in October of driving high and drunk at twice the legal limit when she slammed into the detective at a roadblock in 2021, sending his body flying nearly 200 feet on the LIE. Prior to that, prosecutors say she spewed vitriol for the police on her podcast. I'm sorry. Bove clutched onto her rosary beads, but neither that nor her apology was enough for Judge Alois, sentencing her to the max of 20 years on the top charge, plus an additional two to seven years for leaving the scene, leaving the detective to die. For all those infantile yahoos in our society, spend their time protesting the police or pointing to fund the police. They should have a glimpse of what transpired in this case. The defense maintained this was not an intentional killing, but for the police, no amount of jail time could be great enough. Taking a life, she should she should be in bar, behind bars for life, uh, but today uh, is justice. That won't stop these kids from growing up without a father, but it will motivate their mother. And I will do my best to give them a beautiful life filled with love and joy, not one of hate and darkness. And those kids just three and six years old when their father was killed. Bovee's lawyer says she's taken part in every program behind bars to turn her life around. Sentenced on a top charge of aggravated manslaughter, she won't see the possibility of parole until at least after 22 years in prison. At Queens Criminal Court, Anthony Carlo, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Another an eye-opening new report about child poverty in New York City. According to a study by Columbia University and the Robin Hood Foundation, one in four children in New York City lived in poverty in 2022. Researchers claim the end of the pandemic era relief programs like the expanded child tax credit, enhanced unemployment insurance and stimulus checks no longer coming into households are to blame. Overall, 23% of people in New York City lived in poverty in 2022. That's a 5% increase since 2021. The CEO of Robinhood says the situation gets even worse when you take into account just how many New Yorkers live above the poverty line, but frighteningly close to it. They're twice as likely to struggle to pay rent or to put food on the table or to pay their bills uh, than wealthier New Yorkers. They're more likely to fall into poverty as a result of some shock in their lives, uh, a medical bill they didn't anticipate or uh, um, a lost paycheck. Um, so it really showed that, that more than half of our neighbors are struggling in really profound ways. 
Uh, that was the CEO of Robinhood, Richard Burney. Again, Robinhood was just one half of the team who put together the study. And joining us now, a representative from the other half, Sophie Collier. She's the research director for the Center on Poverty and Social Policy at Columbia. Sophie, thanks so much for joining us. You know, my first question is a basic one. What do we mean by poverty? What is the standard? What's the line? Yeah, so what we use is the supplemental poverty measure. And what that does is it accounts for all cash resources and post-tax cash income and all resources from in-kind benefits and other supports, as well as uh, like spending on medical care and child care costs to account for a family's total resources and then holds that against a poverty line, which in 2022 was about $44,000 for a family of four in rental housing. So with so that in mind, a, talk a to me. minimum for, Right. I, I got you. But that, with that in mind, talk to me about, you know, we're talking about the city and how, how, how really dramatically impact New York is by this. But in the city, which boroughs are hit the worst and why? Yeah, so we see... Um, that the highest rates of poverty are evident in the Bronx, but we also measure other domains of disadvantage or experiences of financial insecurity, such as facing material hardship and the acute inability to meet basic needs, like having enough food at the end of the month or running out of money before you have uh, a chance to buy more food, not being able to see a doctor because of cost. And we see that those levels are also highest in the Bronx as our health problems. I'm curious if the influx of migrants and, and the lack of money that they bring into the country, if that's skewing these numbers in any way. So these numbers are from uh, from 2022. And so any kind of more recent uh, trends are going to be reflected in that. Um, but again, what we're really seeing is the large explanation for the increase in the poverty rate is the rollback of pandemic era policies. And that's like, so evident when looking at the child poverty rate which increased by 66% between 2021 and 2022, um, with a large explanation being the expiration, excuse me, of the federal child tax credit expansion, as you uh, named earlier. Right. Now, there are other uh, uh, safety net programs out there, both on the federal level, state level, and local level. But is there anything more that any of these agencies can do to help, uh, in, in particularly children and uh, the victims of being in poverty? Yeah, so there are three uh, types of policies discussed in the report. We discussed expanding the New York State Empire State uh, Child Credit to mm -hmm. make sure the lowest income children are eligible for the full amount. We also discussed making child care just more affordable for families. So many families are burdened by child care spending and costs and that both limits like the resources they're able to, to keep and pay other bills with, as well as limits of work opportunities as people can't afford child care. Um, and other is just making housing more affordable across the city. Well, affordable housing is such a big issue here right now. And we're hoping the lawmakers are paying attention to this uh, report and all the issues that it brings with us. Uh, Sophie Collier with Columbia University, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Good to have you here. Good turn to the weather right now. Let's take a live look at the New York City skyline as night falls on another chilly day. We're going to get exclusive AccuWeather forecast with meteorologist Lee Goldberg. Lee. All right, Dave. Uh, we haven't had to use the umbrella in quite a while, but we'll have to find the umbrella by this time tomorrow as rain will be moving through the area. In fact, a good chunk of the daylight hours should just be dry. I would say after about 4 o'clock, all bets are off. And it's not just rain. There's some wet snow in the Catskills and Poconos, but the majority of the area sees rain. Empire, that's currently in classic white tonight under a 
a partly to mostly cloudy sky. We're at 37 degrees. Feels like 32. The southeast wind recently kicked up just a little bit. We were right on target with the actual normal temperature today. Sunrise, sunset was a beautiful one at 537, and there are your sunrise times for tomorrow morning. So we still have some cold air to get rid of, and we have all day to do that tomorrow, but it's just not enough time to get the chilly air out of the snow-packed areas like the Poconos and Catskills that will get some wet snow tomorrow. We're generally in a tight range of temperatures in the mid and upper 30s, so a chilly evening, but not as harsh as recent nights. Rain comes in late tomorrow, lasts through the day on Friday till about, let's say, early to mid-afternoon. By this time on Friday, I actually think we're drying out, which is good. Around a quarter of inch of rainfall, so we're not talking about a major rainfall or an AccuWeather alert or anything like that, but there can be some coatings, even some small accumulations in the highest elevations of the Poconos and Catskills. Behind this storm, it's a very cold weekend, but that's short-lived. We have a nice spike in temperatures early next week. All day, we've been fighting with low clouds along the coast, and now the clouds are coming in from the west. This is a piece of the energy that was part of the atmospheric river over California. Obviously, a much weakened feature, but there's still a little ribbon of rainfall right here that will be moving into the area after about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So I have your umbrella for later tomorrow. Notice how it's wet snow in the Poconos and Catskills. There'll be waves of showers or drizzle as we go through the overnight hours into Friday morning. The steadiest rain is actually, unfortunately, during the Friday morning commute. Now, it's not anything terribly heavy, but expect wet roads to use the wipers and have the umbrella and raincoat through the probably mid-afternoon hours. The rain tapers to scattered showers by early to mid-afternoon, and we should be drying out by your Friday evening. So probably don't have to take the umbrella out for your Friday night. Again, rainfall totals probably about a quarter of an inch. Could be some higher totals north, but it's not all rain. There, it's actually a little bit of snow, so figure a coating to an inch or so in the highest elevations of the Poconos and Catskills. We're in the low 30s tonight, partly to mostly cloudy skies for tomorrow. We'll start the day dry, a few breaks in the overcast, then we'll turn cloudy, a late day rain shower, and it's a snow shower in the higher elevations. It's a chilly and damp night tomorrow night, occasional rain and drizzle, not raining all the time, and it's a mix of rain and snow well north and west. Here's your seven day. So, after a damp, cool Friday, the afternoon starts to dry out. Friday night will be dry, but we're back to blustery. That's a 35 mile per hour gust on Saturday. Will make 30s feel like 20s. Not as harsh on Sunday afternoon. Dave, we're milder into next week. Might be a late day shower Tuesday, early on Wednesday. If we can get rid of those showers early, we're into the 60s Wednesday afternoon. See you again for an update at 11 o'clock. Dave? I can see spring from where I'm sitting. All right, All right thanks. thanks a lot. As we continue with Eyewitness News at Extra Time, more backlash over New York's Archdiocese response to a funeral for a transgender activist. You'll hear what the protesters want the church to do now. Plus, mid-flight troubles, why passengers had to tackle and zip tie a man on a flight out of Mexico. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. Attorney Ben Crump marked the 59th anniversary of the assassination of Malcolm X by claiming that the killing was a government conspiracy and he has secured affidavits from two witnesses to support his claims. Khalil Said Ramakrishna says he was on Malcolm X's security team and was falsely arrested five days before the assassination. He believes he was arrested to ensure he was out of the way. 
Grump says the government has not responded to a freedom of information request for surveillance video and reports related to the killing. Two men convicted in that killing were exonerated in 2021. I believe I was detained in this conspiracy by the NYPD, boss and FBI, in order to ensure Malcolm X's planned assassination would be successful. Ben Crump says the government has not responded to a freedom of information request for surveillance video and reports related to Malcolm X's assassination. Two men convicted in the killings, as I said, were exonerated in 2021. More fallout following the funeral for a transgender activist held at St. Patrick's Catholic Church over the weekend. Today, protesters rallied at City Hall demanding an apology from the New York Archdiocese. Here's Eyewitness News reporter Janice Yu. This was a moment that could have changed the whole thing, and they dropped the ball. It was supposed to be a final farewell for a woman who made a big mark as an activist for the transgender community, sex workers, and people living with HIV. Some members of the transgender community say the funeral of Cecilia Gentelli, who was a transgender woman inside St. Patrick's Cathedral, should have been a big step in the relationship between them and the Catholic Church. But now tension is boiling over. How dare you scream this blasphemy? How dare you attack us continuously for us living our true selves authentically? It's disgusting. You're preaching hate. You are teaching people to hate. You have spewed hate. The transgender community now demanding an apology after members of the clergy cut the service short over what they called scandalous and sacrilegious behavior. Once the funeral started is when the trouble started because of the irreverence and the disrespect of the big crowd that was there. That is, was very, very sad. The Archdiocese of New York claims it was not aware Gentile was transgender or an atheist when it agreed to allow the funeral. But friends of Gentile and activists say there was no deception on their end. Instead, they say their collateral damage in a fight within the Catholic Church over inclusion. When you talk about I am deceptive, I wasn't deceptive. I didn't tell you something that's not your business. Period. The deception were y'all because you used us knowing that this battle and knowing that this funeral would be the nail in what y'all wanted to do against this community. Cardinal Dolan asked the pastor of St. Patrick's to hold a special mass to ask for forgiveness for that funeral. This is a special mass that happens uh, anytime there is something very sacrilegious that happens inside of a church. In Midtown, GNSU Channel 7 Eyewitness News. As we continue with Witness News Extra Time, how did live rounds make it onto the Rust movie set in New Mexico? That's the main question for jurors as the trial for the person who handled those weapons on the set begins. Jury selection began today in the manslaughter trial of an armorer who handed a loaded gun to Alec Baldwin on the set of his movie. 26-year-old Hannah Gutierrez-Reed is accused of criminal negligence in her handling of that gun that caused the death of the film's cinematographer in 2021. ABC's Jacqueline Lee with more. Jury selection has begun in the trial against Hannah Gutierrez, the armorer on the movie Rust. Gutierrez is facing two counts of involuntary manslaughter after cinematographer Helena Hutchins was shot and killed on the New Mexico set in October 2021. After Alec Baldwin was holding the revolver and practicing a cross draw when the gun fired and the live bullet struck Hutchins, he has pleaded not guilty to recently refiled involuntary manslaughter charges. 
Since the initial investigation, he's insisted he never fired the gun. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. You never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. Never. That was the training that I had. You don't point a gun at me and, and pull the trigger. Prosecutors dismissed the case against Baldwin last April, but brought it back in January after they claimed additional facts came to light. In addition to involuntary manslaughter charges, Gutierrez is accused of tampering with evidence after prosecutors claim she handed off a small bag of cocaine following a police interview the day of the shooting. She has pleaded not guilty to all charges. Text messages included in court documents suggest members of the crew were concerned about Gutierrez's alleged drug and alcohol use. I told you Hannah was blackout drunk last weekend, right? Documents also show witnesses claimed Gutierrez was high on marijuana in her hotel room while in possession of ammunition used on the set. Prosecutors allege they have substantial evidence that Gutierrez brought the live rounds on set in Santa Fe. Six live rounds were discovered. Her attorney denies the claim, saying the state unquestionably lacks authority to prosecute Ms. Gutierrez on this charge, adding their response to launch vitriolic personal attacks to obscure the facts and truth is more of the same unprofessional conduct that we have seen throughout the case. Both felony counts of involuntary manslaughter are punishable by up to 18 months in jail if convicted. Jacqueline Lee, ABC News, Los Angeles. And we'll be back with more eyewitness news extra time in just a moment. A library card will get you much more than books at Hoboken Public Library. Cardholders can now check out everyday items such as electronics, tools, even yard games. It's called the Library of Things. Eyewitness News reporter Kimberly Richardson spoke to the library's director about the new program. Here at the Hoboken Public Library, you'll find a treasure chest of books, but this? What is this? Can I borrow this? Can I borrow a telescope? Yup. How about a stud finder? Air compressor. Let's do the air compressor. <laughs> there is a lot of this and a whole bunch of that here at the new Library of Things. Living in an urban area where you don't have a lot of space to store things, you know, wouldn't it be great if I can just borrow, say, a knife sharpener, use it once, and then I can just return it? That's where the genesis of this all came from. Library director Jenny Poo is refreshingly over the moon, excited to show off and spread the word about this new collection on the second floor. If you have a Hoboken Public Library card, come here and borrow an item for free. Right now, someone is checking their air quality. Keep it for 14 days, then simply return it for the next person to use. The library buys everything, at times outsources, and hopes to grow its collection. What about a power washer? A power washer? Like for the ground? And yeah. Like I love those. Similar programs are in place at other libraries in our area. In Fairlawn, New Jersey, borrow an antique wedding gown. In Brooklyn, a musical instrument. At another location, the most popular item, a popcorn machine. You can go online to see what's currently in stock. Jenny tells me the sky's the limit. Hmm, how about a trampoline? In Hoboken, Kimberly Richardson, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. What a great idea.
That's going to wrap up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm David Navarro. And a reminder, Extra Time's now a podcast. You can listen to this show as well as past show on the go. Just search Extra Time at ABC7NY or wherever you stream your broadcasts. We are back live on Eyewitness News 11. We hope to see you then. Have a great evening. And remember, any breaking news on the go, you can get it at ABC7NY.